Well, if you've experienced new life in Christ because of his death and resurrection, then I know you praise him like I do. But I also know that in a crowd this size, there's some of you sitting here today or listening online that you've not yet made up your mind what you think about Jesus and the resurrection. Or you have already made up your mind that none of it's true. Whoever you are and wherever you are on what you've decided about Jesus I'm so glad you're here. Because what I want to do today is remind each one of us of just how important this decision is. Because what you decide about Jesus impacts not only this life, but the eternal one to come. And so to get you thinking about how important this decision is, I want to start with a true story that I hope will remind you help you remember what's true about life that some decisions more than others are life altering oh no doubt at the end of a lifetime each one of us will have made thousands if not millions of decisions but most of us at the end of our life i think will look back will look back and probably point to a handful of decisions both good and bad that were life altering because they changed the course of your life as they shaped who you became and where you ended up. In 2004, two college roommates hacked their way into the school computer system and created a website they called Face Mash that allowed you to vote for the best and worst looking students on campus. And it took off. In fact, it exploded to the degree that so many students jumped onto the platform online and were participating that these two guys couldn't even get onto their own computers. But as you can imagine, it also really upset some students. And the administration at Harvard University also threatened to expel them both unless they took it down immediately. And so they did. But the success of that experiment... Short-lived as it was, it was only up less than 24 hours. The success of that experiment gave one of them an idea for how people could connect online in a social media community. His name was Mark Zuckerberg. And he called this new idea that's almost 20 years old now, you know, say it with me, Facebook. That's better than MASH. Facebook, and he offered his roommates significant shares and a position of leadership in this new venture as he begged him to help him launch it. But his roommate, Joe Green, said no and stayed where he was doing what he was doing while Zuckerberg left Harvard. Like so many of the success stories, he didn't even get a degree. Left Harvard and went on to become the youngest self-made billionaire on the planet. In fact, Zuckerberg became a billionaire at age 23, just four years after moving out of his dorm room with a net worth today that exceeds $100 billion, making him only one, one of 10 people in the world who have a net worth that exceeds 
$100 billion. And that's because 3 billion people use Facebook all over the world. So what about poor Joe Green? That means that, here's what it means. When Joe Green said no, and he did some research, he got, he got counsel from people, including his dad, who was a professor at UCLA, that said, have nothing to do with this wacko idea. When Joe Green said no, he said no to an offer that would have made him worth $3 billion today. As he looks back on that decision 20 years ago, he said to Bloomberg Business Week in an interview, every once in a while, you have a moment of bitterness. You think? I bet. And so here's what I want you to think about. Joe Green said no to an offer that cost him billions of dollars. But what I want you to understand is this decision about Jesus is in a category altogether different. What you decide about Jesus is in a category altogether different that has nothing to do with money. Because this decision, you can't put a price tag on it because it has to do with your soul and eternity. What price tag would you put on your soul regarding where you will spend eternity? So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 28. And follow along as I begin reading verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Just listen to God's word. Sit back and listen. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard... Now, you realize these guards had to wake up, get up off the ground from their stunned condition of having seen an empty tomb and an angel. These guards, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. The reason they're saying this is in that day, this is during the Roman Empire, Roman guards, when they were assigned to guard a prisoner or a situation, if you failed to do what you'd been assigned to do, you paid for it with your life. You were killed. So this had to be a large sum of money where they said, listen, we'll take care of you. We'll take care of it if it comes to the governor's ears that this happened. 
And they took this large sum of money. Verse 15. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. In this passage, I think you can see three very different decisions regarding Jesus and the resurrection. Decisions that are still being made today. Nothing new under the sun. Three very different decisions to the same event. Here's the first. Number one, those women at the tomb rejoiced and chose to worship him. See, they'd gone to the tomb that first Easter morning carrying spices, intending to further embalm his body. But when they got there, they found the stone rolled away. In fact, another gospel account tells us on the way there, they'd had a discussion saying, how are we going to move the stone? How are we going to get the stone moved? When they got there, there was no need to move the stone. It had been rolled away. Instead, they found the stone rolled away. And for the first time ever, I know it's something that we hear, we hear, we hear, we hear. If you grew up in church, you've heard it, heard it, heard it. But imagine hearing this message for the very first time ever. He is not here. He is what? Risen just as he said. Just as he said. He had been saying, I must die, but I'll rise again. I'm going to die and three days later rise again. And they just couldn't fathom it. They couldn't grasp it. He had been saying this. And they heard this message for the first time. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen just as he said. He did what he said he was going to do. That's one of the most life-changing statements. So look again at how they responded to hearing this. He's risen just as he said. Look at the end of verse 8 and 9 at their response. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and joy. Let me help you understand what's going on here. Here's another thing, just a nugget on a side for what it's worth. Fear. Why? They saw an angel. Every time in the Bible someone sees an angel, they are terrified. Okay, so set aside, oh, I saw an angel. It reminds me of grandma or Elvis. No, no, you didn't see an angel then. That was just grandma. Because every person that sees an angel usually falls on their face trembling. And that's why the angel always has to start off. The angel has a message, but he always has to first say, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. They left with fear and joy. What he said is true. What he said he would do, he's done. What he said is true. What he said he would do is done. They left with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Which I hope you know, you can't hold someone by the feet unless you're on your face. They fell on their faces held him by the feet, and worshipped him because they knew this is more than a carpenter. This is more than a guru, a sage, a wise one, someone who's trying to gather up. One of our philosophers 
They had philosophers in that day, I hope you realize. And the term disciple was not a new term. Philosophers gathered disciples that sat at their feet and said, oh, he's the one, she's the one that knows the way. And they realized this is like no other. Sometimes you hear people say today, even though, oh, they were gullible back then, they believed in things like the resurrection. They did not. They did not believe in things like that any more than we do today. They were very logical, philosophical. They fell on their face, held him by the feet, and worshiped. And I know that's where so many of you are today. You know he is alive and not dead. So you hold on to him, you love him, you worship him, and you tell others about him. I rejoice with you. That's how I live, and it's a great day to be alive. It's a great day to be a Christian. We have the greatest message ever that can change your life, that will change the course of your life and the shape of who you become and where you end up. But I hope you saw it as I read it. There's another group of people, a second group, that saw the same things and responded very differently. It's the Roman soldiers and religious leaders. Number two, the Roman soldiers and religious leaders rejected the resurrection and even tried to cover it up. So what's going on right here? Well, I want you to understand this is not a case of people with doubts who need more information. There are people out there like that. There are people with doubts who need more information. And praise God, we live in a great day of information. If you want more information about Christianity, credibility, historicity, if you want more evidence and things to read about Christianity, the resurrection, Jesus Christ, his life, his death, it's out there. But that's not this group. See, we make a mistake sometimes in thinking all people need are more information. They don't don't believe because they don't have enough information. They don't believe because they haven't been given enough information. There are some people in that category. These people are not those people. This is a case. This is a case of people who are troubled by the information they do have and wish it wasn't true. They are troubled by the information. The Roman soldiers... They had to get up off the ground. They had been stunned by this supernatural moment. They didn't lack evidence. Even as you read the gospel accounts, I don't know if you ever pause and think about it. I do. There's that one gospel that tells us as they came to arrest Jesus in the garden as he prayed that final night, one of the disciples, Peter, of course, whipped out a sword, whacked off the ear of one of the people coming to arrest Jesus. Jesus calmly picks up the ear and puts it back on. And nobody changed what they'd come to do. Actually, like, yeah, that happens every day. Thanks for putting the ear on. We're still going to kill you. What is going on? Even there's another gospel account. When you read it, it says, when they get there, they say, are you Jesus? And he says, I am. Guess what? That's one of God's names, the great I am. And it says the group stumbled backwards and fell to the ground by the power of that declaration and they still got up and continued to do what they came to do. That's how hard the human heart is, you guys. It's not always lack of evidence. We're gonna talk some more in this hour about what else is lacking. What, what then is the factor? What is going on? This is not a case of people who 
lack information and need more. They're troubled by the information they have and they wish it wasn't true. And I do appreciate this. Here's what they're troubled about and wish it wasn't true because they understood something about the resurrection. They understood the gravity and implications of the resurrection. You guys, the resurrection is not some philosophical thought to banter about and debate if you have free time on the patio with friends. The resurrection, if it is true, is life-altering and has world-changing implications. And so there are a lot of people who don't want it to be true. They don't want it to be true. I don't want to live in a world like this. They made a decision. This group, the Roman soldiers and the religious leaders, made a decision to deny it and cover it up in the face of evidence. Every person who chooses not to believe in Jesus and the resurrection does not do it for lack of evidence. Often, it's in spite of of evidence and is driven by, you ready? The desire to not let go of controlling their own life. I want to be autonomous. I don't want to be accountable to anyone. I don't want to live in a world where there is someone greater than me, where there is a calling on my life, where there is an expectation, where there is an afterlife, where there is something that matters more than right here. I don't want that to be true. Therefore, I will deny and even try to cover up evidence to the contrary. That group, the religious leaders and the soldiers, realized if this is true, then it changes everything. And I don't want anything to change. I would have to rethink life itself, what I'm doing and why. I would have to rethink life itself, what I'm doing and why. Because if he conquered death, then he is Lord. And if he is Lord, then I am accountable to him. And I don't want to be accountable to anyone. I want to do what I want to do with my life. With my life. With my life. That's where a lot of people still are today. And it's how the religious leaders in Matthew 28 felt. They said, this is going to rock our world and it will shatter all of our comfortable categories. Human beings are unlike any other animal or plant in the, in the world. We're interpreters. And we, we put categories together. You're, you're constantly thinking from birth. You're trying to make sense of this world. And you create categories for yourself, what the world's about, the real purpose for living. Am I okay? What matters most? We create categories, and usually we create categories that make us comfortable. They said, this is going to rock our world, and it would shatter all of our comfortable categories. We already know what we want to be true. And guess what? We're in control This would be the end of positions of authority that we have that keep us in control. And we don't want any of that to change. So they denied it. They covered it up. They rejected the resurrection not for lack of evidence, but for lack of desire to let go of being in control and rethink who they are and who they are in light of God. And who they are in light of 
eternity. But let me show you a third response that took place then and is still happening today. Number three, some had doubts about it. So the women said, yes, rejoiced, worshiped, held on to him. Soldiers and religious leaders rejected it outright. And then there were some. Look at it again at the end of verse 17. Because I hope it will encourage some of you sitting here today or listening online. There is this category. Some had doubts. All right. All right. All right. There's some credibility to this. There's some substance to this. I'm open to thinking about this. But I have doubts. I have doubts. That might be you here today. That you would graciously admit there's some credibility. There is some credibility and evidence to the resurrection in this message of Christianity. But what if I have doubts, Brad? What if I'm not 100% absolutely certain about it? Where does that leave me? If that's you, I've got some really good news for you. A, you're in the Bible. You're right there in verse 17. People had doubts then. They have doubts now. But I've got a place I want you to start. If you'd say, but I have some doubts, letter A, start by doubting your doubts. Start by doubting your doubts. In other words, I would like you to consider being skeptical of your skepticism, especially if you are sitting here today or listening online and your skepticism is fueled by you're just parroting what someone else told you in a classroom or you read in a short blog, or you heard it and said, yeah, I'm going to keep saying that. Because it resonated with your flesh. Your flesh thought, I don't want this to be true. And you heard something, you're like, yeah. How do we know the Bible's even the Bible? It's been translated so many times. Oh, yeah, I'm going to say that. That's perfect. Oh, listen to me. If you've never examined it for yourself, the Scriptures, start with the Scriptures, and you've never dug into other historical, credible works outside the Bible that show the credibility of the life of Christ, his death, his resurrection, then I would encourage you, I would plead with you, examine it for yourself. Do not spend the rest of your life parroting what someone else said. I can't tell you how many times I'm engaging someone regarding afterlife, heaven, hell, Jesus, death, sin. And when I ask them, they'll say negative things about the Bible. I'll say, have you read it? No. Have you ever read the Gospels? No. Start there. I would encourage you, I love the whole Bible, but there's 66 books within one book. Don't start with Genesis. It's a great book. Gives us some beginnings. I would encourage you, start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four accounts, historical eyewitness accounts of who Jesus is, what he said, what he did, what he said he's going to do. Start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read it for yourself. And then, if you want, dig into other credible sources outside the Bible. And there's lots and lots and lots of them. If you don't believe in Jesus and the resurrection, that is your right as a human being. Free will, dignity, you make decisions... That's your right, and I'll respect that. I would just plead with you, though, don't just roll your eyes, shrug your shoulders, and laugh if you've never examined it for yourself. Start there. 
Be skeptical of your own skepticism if you've never dug into it. And here's why I'm pushing you this way. It's because I want you to consider the reality of what's actually true in our world. People, people say, oh, I would believe. I would believe in Jesus and Christianity if I could be 100% certain. All the evidence in the world cannot bring you to 100% certainty. You realize that? And you don't make decisions in any other area of your life this way. If you were honest, you would have to admit, you do not make decisions in any other area of your life this way. Whether it's deciding who to marry, who to hire, or whether Jesus actually rose from the dead. Your intellect and thinking process will only take you so far. Consider, anyone who's sitting here that's married, you're going to chuckle here in a minute. Anyone who's sitting here that's married, is there any way that you can know when you said I do, that person, all that you were getting into, that person, when you said I do, the way you will know them when you begin to live with them for years. Do you really know that person that you're interviewing, despite how thorough you try to make the interview process, the way you will know them when you start working closely with them? And does anyone truly know Jesus when they first say, yes, Lord Jesus, the way they will know him after following him for years? The answer to all those questions is no. No. And so how do we actually make decisions? Well, here's what's going on, whether you'll admit it or not. After careful investigation of anything, a car, a home, who to marry, who to hire, what job to say yes to, after careful investigation, you make a decision to move forward based on the information you have, which is never all the information you wish you had. There's always a gap between 100% certainty and the information you finally decide to let you move forward and make a decision based on what you have. So don't say, I would become a Christian if I could be 100% certain. All the decisions we make always involve two factors. Yes, we are thinking beings, but we flatter ourselves. We tend to act like we are so intellectual, so logical. We live in a world of science and data. We we don't do anything that isn't right, hard, cold facts. That is so not true. It's just not true. Every decision involves a measure of that, but it involves a whole lot more. Every decision involves two factors, objective information and subjective desire to respond to that information. Which is why marketers and advertisers have a heyday with us. They know you better than you know yourself. That's why commercials don't go into the details of what's in that product. They show you something that they hope will move you to emote and feel something and make a connection and say, yep. Coca-Cola just shows you beautiful people in a well-lit house with perfect white teeth. Court laughing, I'll have friends, I'll have white teeth, I'll have a home like that. Yes, I'll drink it. They don't say, here's the sugar content that will rot your teeth. They don't give a lot of information. 
They don't want you to have a lot of information. They want you to move based on a, you know, even with cars, nice cars will just show a car swooping down a road. What kind of road? Gorgeous winding road in Austria with leaves blowing and swirling. And somehow you think if I own it, I'll be there. We're that, you know, and we're not stupid creatures, but we make a connection. They go after this part of us, desire, desire. So here's what I want you to realize. Every decision we make is intellectual, yes, emotional, volitional. You have to choose to do something and personal. Intellect is only part now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not here saying set aside all facts and information and just emote your way to Jesus today. I'm not saying that. I'm so glad Christianity is a, is a religion of substance. We have, we have substance and credibility and historicity that you can dig into. Dig into it. But at the end of the day, my friend, you will need to, like you do with everything else, choose to step forward and say yes based on the information you have. Not all you wish you had. And saying, I have a desire and I'm willing to say, yes, Lord Jesus, and submit my life. It's intellectual, emotional, volitional, and personal. And no one can do it for you. Every decision. Reason or intellect can bring you to a place of probability. That's why I love that we live in a good day for information Answers in Genesis and so many other ministries can give you all kinds of evidence that shows the probability of this being true. So many times, the, what about, what about, what about, what about? There are smart people who have dug into it and said, here's your answer, here's your answer, here's your answer. Oh, it can lead you to a place of probability. But only commitment will lead you to a place of certainty. You got to commit. And that's why it is not mindless, but salvation is by intellect alone. What's it, what's it by? Grace alone, it's a free gift, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Plus what? You'll reach a point where you have to pull the trigger and say, all right, all right. I think it's true. I think it's true, but, but I'm scared. Oh, I have some doubts. I, I still have some things rumbling around. That's all right. That's all right. Some of you, I would encourage you to rethink how you made your decision and what your expectations were for what it had to look like before you said yes. Then I want you to be honest about why you're saying no. Is it really lack of information? Or is it the desire to not let go of your life? And to stay, quote, in control. You're not in control. Trust me. We all went through COVID. Like, do we need another example? Like, we're so not in control of our world or our lives, but we so want to be. Oh, listen to me. That fear that you have on the other side of it is something incredibly sweet. There is something incredibly sweet about being owned by someone else. Now, that's terrible if we're talking slavery, right? We're talking about a good, 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 good master. I love having someone else be in control of my life. I love being someone else's. Oh, it's wearing you out, some of you, as you continue to try to be your own. Your own. And the world tells you, yeah, yeah, you can do it. You can't. You'll be on multiple psychotropic drugs, and you'll be exhausted. And you'll say, what's wrong? 
What's wrong? What's wrong? You were never meant to be your own. You were meant to be owned, to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's good. He's so good. He will never fail you. He will never let you down. He will never leave you. That thing you're looking for is actually found in Jesus. Come to Jesus. Say yes. Say yes, Lord Jesus. As we close, I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to take a moment right now to think about what you've heard. Some of you need to make a decision. And some of you need to rethink the decision you made. The door you slammed that you thought was done. Because you didn't make it the right way. I'm encouraging some of you to open the door and rethink it all together. Did you make your decision regarding Jesus the same way you make other decisions? Most of you know enough. I'm asking you to make a personal decision to give him your life. Because he doesn't call us to just give him intellectual assent. He calls us to give him our life. And that's what holds most people back. Not lack of evidence, but fear of letting go and giving up control of our lives. Do it. Say, yes, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. If you're ready to make a decision to surrender your life to Christ, to become a Christian, then I invite you to pray pray this simple prayer after me. You don't have to pray it out loud. You don't have to shake my hand. You don't have to get out of your seat. You don't have to give this church any money, and you don't have to get baptized. Right where you sit, you could make a decision that will change the course of your life, who you become, And where you end up, not just in this life, but for eternity. If you're willing, pray this simple prayer after me. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I fall short of your standard. I could never be good enough. I could never earn my way. I could never keep your Ten Commandments perfectly. Thank you for sending your son to do for me what I could never do for myself. To live the only perfect life, die the only perfect death in payment for my sins so that I can be forgiven, made clean, have peace with you, and have eternal life. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. What I know is enough. I surrender my life to him, trusting in him and no one else. Come into my life. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.